You guys, welcome to episode 50 of The Swish Room, the podcast that deep dives into well-known and more important nuts and well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. I'm your host, Troy McKee, and, um, I mean, I don't, this voice needs truly no introduction, like, but he's basically my co-host at this point, um, my Canadian correspondent out on the scene with a microphone doing the Lord's work. Just like digging through people's file files and medicine cabinets for me in Canada because I can't get there. <laughs> Russ Martin, how are you, sir? Troy, I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me back. Uh, congratulations on 50 episodes, buddy. Thank you. I mean, I felt like who else to do my 50th episode with than you? Well, it is an honor. Uh, Troy, can we do a little bit of house cleaning up top? Absolutely. Housekeeping, house cleaning, housekeeping. <laughs> okay. Uh, you do not sell yourself to these people. Uh, the listeners need to go and rate and, retu- rate and review on iTunes. And rate and review on iTunes, even if you are a Patreon member, to the Smushroom-specific podcast. I went and did this. It took me a very long time. I'm not actually subscribed. I now am. Go subscribe to that one. Give that one some love. Push it up in the rankings. And uh, let everyone know that you think that this podcast is what? Iconic. <laughs> You're an earth angel. Please. Also, <laughs> also please, if you do comment, uh, also let me know the words that you hate that I say as well. Um, iconic is one of them, obviously, but there's so many that I repeat repetitively that there has to be more. Uh, like, but, um, let's do it. <laughs> um, also, by the way, you have a birthday coming up. Are you excited? Uh, I am petrified and excited, and I'm about to join you at 30 on this Friday, which is, like, big ol' spoiler alert, but also Alanis Morissette's birthday. I mean, can we talk? It's, like, so... It's so... It, it always works out this way when we record together. Something... Some weird Earth thing happens where it's, like, meant to be. Uh, are you technically a Gemini? You must be. Um, so I'm an Aries... I'm an Aries, but I'm an Aries cusp, so I'm an Aries Taurus cusp got it well welcome to gemini season (laughs) well thank you uh i mean like look as a month-long 30 year old i'm full of wisdom and all kinds of things that i could teach you so anything you want to know i've really i've lived a lot in this month just so you know uh well i am expecting some sort of a care package to get me through are you kidding (laughs) no i'm not Duh! It's gonna be—it's gonna be all of Atlantis's because like, I know that you have jagged little pills, so I'll just give you all a box set of her flop albums. <laughs> I look forward to it. Um, well, spoiler alert—we are talking today about Atlantis Morissette and Ryan Reynolds, and um, I'm excited. Like I, you know, obviously you and I are the same age, so we grew up with the same affinity towards Atlantis Morissette. Um, we're both homosexual men, so I feel like we have the same sort of, like... Russ and I share the same, um, affinity for a strong female. Like, we love, like... We've brought a lot of girl power in us, and Alanis Morissette is, like, you know, a definite pillar, a building block as to, like, why, I think, because we were both probably, you know, super influenced by her at a really young age, and she just means a lot to us. Absolutely. This album came out when we were seven years old, and we were just like tiny little angry homosexual boys bouncing <laughs> around to it. <laughs> my mom's. Can I tell you something really funny? My mom's yeah, first like uh, 
her first, like, I think that, like, everybody around my mom, like, definitely probably knew I was gay at, like, birth. But my mom was, like, when she just didn't really ever think about it. And, uh, when this album came out, I used to play it, like, obviously on repeat, just, like, all the fucking time. And, um, I don't know why I thought this was, like, a chic adornment. Like, I thought, like, this was something that, like, a rock star like Alanis would do on stage. And I, I went through my mom's, <laughs> I went through my mom's, um, closet and I literally tied one of her, like, expensive sh- silk sh- scarves around my leg. I was like performing this album in the living room and she walked out and I realized that she was probably watching me for like two songs <laughs> and uh, she just still pretended not to know that her baby boy was a homosexual um, well all in good time <laughs> exactly um, well I guess we can go ahead and get started um, this was an interesting relationship to, to research because it's just weird. Like, it's just a weird couple that didn't make sense then, and it doesn't really make sense now, and I don't feel like I understand it any more than I did when it was happening. I don't think I understand it at all. I don't think anyone understood it then, and I think even looking back and doing all of this research, I am still just scratching my head at how this possibly came to be. It literally makes no sense, and, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I read, like, I'm sure we read a lot of the same articles... Um, and it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of people being just confused and also talking, like, really poorly about Alanis' looks, which is, like, I felt really bad about, like, how did she get him kind of thing. There was so much of that. Uh, People calling her Uglanis, like, I will come for you, I will knock at your door, and I will politely ask you to stop using that, like, the good Canadian boy that I am. <laughs> like, it's so fucking rude, and it's like, okay, like, was Ryan Reynolds blessed with, like, a on-paper attractive face? Sure, but he's also, like, the most boring, dull person to ever exist in the history of celebrity. Like, I don't, I don't get it. Oh, he is so vanilla, and finally has found another cone. <laughs> Did you like He's a real snooze. Uh, I I didn't think much of the man before this, and after reading a whole bunch about him, I think that I think less. Uh, Ryan Reynolds is fine. He seems like a nice guy, and that's the top line. Yeah, that's pretty much it. He's just a nice. He's a nice guy. He's got like that, like Shep. I don't know if uh, if you watch Southern Charm. Oh, I do. He he gives off like Shep vibes to me. He's got that very like broy, um, sort of like fratastic humor that like has worked his whole life. He's like, you know what I mean? Like he's just he's he's a human polo tee. He literally is like he's just a bro, um, and like not in like the horrible like college campus date rapey way. Like right. there's nothing really negative that I have to say about Ryan Reynolds. I didn't come across anything that he had done that was totally monster like, but. You know, he's, oh, a, no, yeah. he's a t-shirt I'll be passing on when I walk by at the mall. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, Alanis and Ryan, they started dating in February of 2002. Uh, they met at Drew Barrymore's birthday party, and they got engaged. Stop! I mean, like, I, there's so much to say about that when we get to it. Like, I don't even... 
I, the what I've worked out in my mind, I'd love to run by you because I I had to make sense of it. It was like a Rubik's cube for me. Yes, let's jump ahead. Let's get to the Drew Barrymore of it right now. We will get back into chronology, I promise, dear listener. But I need your Drew. Hit me with it. Okay, so what I picture is that, like, Drew obviously loved Jagged Little Pill. And, like, I don't know if they were, like, I don't, I wouldn't imagine that they were, like, friends, but, like, probably just, like, liked each other's work and, like, somehow ended up at this party together. And I imagine that Drew, while probably smoking a cigarette and, like, probably really drunk, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like wine drunk, I picture as well. Um, like six rosés in, yeah. Yes. <laughs> like developing her like berry more wine. Um, I picture that she just like introduced them and said like you guys would be great together. She said like you guys would be great together. I mean, I'm full stock buying it, but what in the like fresh Canadian snow hell was Ryan Reynolds doing at Drew Barrymore's party while he was busy being the guy on Two Guys a Girl in a Pizza Place? I. I don't understand it. Like, who at CAA sent out that invite? It was, it had to be a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend that, like, invited. I mean, it makes no sense. I have not been able to find so much as a Google image hit that includes Drew Barrymore and either one of these people. Uh, There's no information that connects them whatsoever other than this chance meeting at her birthday party. It's bizarre, but... extremely bizarre and also it's hard for me to even like I don't know maybe just because I blocked him out I didn't block him out I just I've never cared about Ryan Reynolds so it's hard for me to even like place where he would be socially during this time like who were his friends like, I don't, you know what I mean like I can't even like I, I just I, I don't know he's just such a blind spot for me I mean, we will look for context clues later, but I like this Drew Barrymore theory. I'm subscribing to it. We are rewriting history. That is what had happened. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they got engaged in June of 2004. They separated in February of 07. Um, Alanis' album Flavors of Entanglement is heavily inspired by him, and she was very open about that. Um, And uh, this was... For the first of many engagements for Ryan, like, there's a lot of articles written about him being this, like, sort of serial monogamous, and, like, he loves to be engaged, apparently. Like, not only does he relationship hop, but he, like, likes the idea of planning a wedding or something. I don't know. Um, so that's a weird thing. He's got a bit of, like, a runaway groom, Julia Roberts, to him. Yeah, like, who gets engaged three times in a row and, like... Two years. I mean, it's just, it's a lot. Like it's like uh, okay, um, and I do think it's worth worth mentioning that uh, yeah, this is just like a relationship that you see on there. Like there is no countdown list that exists in the internet world of like strange relationships that they're not on. Like that's every single one. Every single one. This is their legacy that they were this weird couple that people didn't understand. And they still are. And it's a lot of like, oh my god, remember when they dated? Like, it's it's mostly that. But it's, oh my god, remember when they dated for five fucking years? Yeah. Like, they were together for a long, long time. Uh, so it was totally weird, but it wasn't a blip in either of their lives. It was a serious, long relationship, which makes it even stranger. I know, I was thinking... 
when I was doing research, like, you know, there's a lot of talk of the children, like, people asking them, like, they were going to have kids, and, like, I feel like we were just truly a, a literal, like, thrust away from children between these two people, and how different the world would have been if Alanis Morissette's child was from Ryan Reynolds, and you know what I mean? I can't even... Because that was like, I mean, people, they were like really, this was hot and heavy. And they got to, they got back together. I mean, they broke up and got back. I mean, it was a whole thing. Yeah, they were, yeah, they were serious about the whole thing. They were, we met in a previous life serious about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, do you want to start with Alanis? Yeah, uh, so Alanis Nadine, middle name, Morissette. <laughs> Uh, was born on my fucking birthday, June 1st, 1974, in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Uh, we are Gemini twins. Uh, she did a TV show in elementary school called You Can't Do That on Television. Uh, it was a Canadian TV show that did, it was a local TV station, I believe, very low budget, but it ended up getting picked up by Nickelodeon. Do you remember ever watching it as a kid? I've only ever seen clips of it. I don't remember really anything about it. And to be honest, I think all the clips I've seen from that show are from, like, different people's behind the music, like... Right. On it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so she was on it, and at a different time, Ryan was actually also on it. Uh, they both did a string of episodes. Uh, that was her first sort of foray into the entertainment business uh, before... She got into music. Uh, she recorded her first demo when she was just nine years old. Uh, she was very involved in dance as a kid as well. Uh, and in Ottawa, she had garnered some attention from local A&R people. Uh, but everyone thought that she was too young to sign. Uh, so when she was peddling her music around Taylor Swift style around Ottawa, uh, they said, like, whoa, you're talented, but not quite yet. Uh, and so it wasn't until she was 14 that she actually uh, signed a record deal. Can we talk about her her first demo though? Because I went on YouTube and listened to it. I'm not Did you? Lie. Not bad. I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying, like for a nine year old girl, like truthfully, her voice was like developed and strong as fuck. She had that iconic. Sorry about it. That iconic Alanis Yodel. Yeah, I mean, like truly, it was like it sounded like adult Alanis just singing like the cheesiest '80s like kids bop song that you could ever fathom but she sounded really good it was shocking i'd suggest everybody go listen there is there's something singular about her voice uh her early music was very color by numbers pop uh but she does have a unique quality to her voice i agree i just love the idea of like of like nine or ten year old child prodigy prodigy Atlantis set like like pouring her heart into a microphone or what she thinks is her heart at that point um and it's like some crazy love story you know what I mean she's like nine like I don't know she was just you know she's just one of those girls like she was just clearly born to she was a child prodigy like she was so talented as a kid but nobody I don't think people really like understood her talent for a really long time which is really sad yeah no and it wasn't until she had sort of failed as a pop star uh, that she went on to move to Los Angeles and to write Jagged Little Pill and all of that. Uh, but there's this huge portion of her career where she was a Canadian pop starlet. Yes. Uh, I'm like so excited to talk about. I have so yeah. much to say. So she was such a little teeny bopper. Uh, and 
with this deal uh, from MCA, she put out uh, a debut album called Just Alanis, uh, and it was dance pop. She constantly was getting compared to Debbie Gibson and to Tiffany and to uh, a personal fave, a fave of the podcast, uh, Paula Abdul. Yeah, and it's like, okay, so the album was clearly horrendous. Like, it was truly horrendous pop music. Like, just empty nothingness. But also, like, it's like the nostalgia of it and, like, watching Alanis, like, bebop around with the perm and, like, be, like, shoulder bopping and, like, literally, like, MC Hammer. Like, it's, it is wild. Like, it's, and there's so many music videos. Like, once you start... It's just this whole rabbit hole of, like, 80s pop star Debbie Gibson Alanis. And, like, from what I gather and, like, from what I've read, I feel like trying to piece this together because I can't help but compare it to, like, our version of teen pop. It's, like, from what I pick up, it's, like, if Debbie Gibson and Tiffany were, like, the Britney and Christina of, like, the pop music scene at that time, like, it feels like she was a little bit of, like, a Mandy Moore. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah, yeah. Making hits, but, like, nobody took her seriously at all, including maybe even herself a little bit, but also was, like, a little profitable. Certainly, yeah. It was a little profitable. Uh, She sold 200,000 copies uh, of her debut record, uh, which I guess is platinum in Canada. It's a much smaller country, so it's easier to to rack up those certifications. But that's a huge number of records. Like, if you even think now, like, 200 is, like, what Katy Perry opens with. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing. And, like, even though she was being <laughs> critically panned and made fun of, they were like, this girl's got moxie. She's got enough moxie to sell a few albums and, uh, you know, deposit some coin into our, our satchels. So, like, whatever. Um, there was a amazing review from Spin Magazine, which, what was Spin Magazine even doing writing about this, like, 12-year-old Canadian pop star? Uh, but they wrote... It's as if her high school yearbook picture came to life and made an album designed to haunt her forever. Sometimes cheese is Velveeta. <laughs> oh, sometimes cheese is Velveeta is something that needs to like be introduced to our zeitgeist. It's like a- no, <laughs> we need to bring that back real big. <laughs> I need Kenya Moore to like drop that at some point. <laughs> 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 Something else that I thought was really interesting, this sort of, like, folklore behind um, the, like, recording process for her as a kid when she was, you know, she was, like, 13 years old, like, hanging out with all these, like, older people. Um, So, basically, in 1988, she recorded this live version of O Canada at uh, the World Figure Skating Championship, and that's where she met this guy named Stephen Clovan, um, and he was an entertainment manager, kind of changed her life. And he had this goal to, like, you know, basically, like, mold her, like, surround her with, like, musicians that were already established, all these, like, synth pop stars. And um, he signed her to his independent label, Hot Mustard Records, which I love. Uh, (laughs) And then she was put, uh, there was, like, all this extreme pressure on her to, like, lose weight. And it was a little bit of a Celine moment. Like, they were, like trying to sort of, like, uh, Cinderella her, which led to her having, like, like a lifelong battle with bulimia, and, um, she talked about how she would, like, go to school, and then she would leave school and go to the recording studio, get really drunk, do a bunch of drugs, smoke a lot of weed, 
and hang out with like 40 year olds all day until three in the morning and then go to school and do it again every single day which is like wild yeah completely wild and probably became a lot of the the topic matter that she would later go on to write about for jagged little pill and jagged little pill i think in retrospect is a lot of a reaction to her being put through that machine and being put in those situations at such a young age oh absolutely i definitely think it was like especially looking back now and it's weird because it's like it spoke to all these angry it spoke to all these like um all these people i feel who like felt misrepresented or like not represented at all especially women in what was happening during music at that time and like she just i mean it's she so she released a second album uh, was also critically panned. It was a less... Gl- they called it a less glitzy production, which I... If I ever release an album, I hope that it's described as a glitzy production. Um, and it was panned. And that was... You know, she had a two-year contract with MCA. That was it. It was over. She had no record deal. She moved back in with her mom. And um, she was a belittled, uh, sort of mentally abused former pop star with no record contract and no money. No, the only thing that was sort of left was that uh, she still had a publishing deal. Uh, So that was what took her from Ottawa to Toronto around the time she graduated from high school, I guess. Uh, And they kept her on. They wanted her to write songs for other people. uh, And that led to a three-year break from music uh, and sort of set the stage. Now we're going to finally talk about Jagged Little Pill. Truly the reason we're recording this, the reason you guys are listening. I mean, like, come on. And it's I'm, like, so excited. Russ, I have so many things to say. And I know that you have so many things to say. <laughs> so, so many. Uh, yeah, again, just like Celine Dion, was completely rebranded over the course of those three years uh, into just an entirely different artist. Uh, but it all started uh, with her meeting another songwriter, a guy named Glenn Ballard, uh, who was a co-writer for Man in the Mirror for Michael Jackson. Uh, this guy has written for everyone. Uh, the list includes Wilson Phillips, Pointer Sisters, Aerosmith, no doubt, uh, Katy Perry more recently. Uh, shout out to the Canadian listeners, uh, The Moffats. Troy, do you know who The Moffats are? Yeah, I do. Okay, all right. (laughs) Uh, The Moffats and uh, your girl, Paula Abdul. Uh, So, yeah, Glenn Ballard, meeting him and starting to work with him uh, was what set the entire journey to Jagged Little Pill on course. And he is, like, literally described in every article I read about him as an image maker, and, like, I don't think there's anything more true. And I also just want to point out specifically that he worked on the Thriller album, Bad and Dangerous. He basically invented Michael Jackson. Like, this guy is... And then for this to have been... I mean, to me, this... I mean, obviously, there's so many great albums and so many, like, amazing artists that he's worked with, but, like, he also created the next 30, however many years of Alanis Morissette's life and career in public image. Like, he kind of invented her in a weird way. Yeah, and along with, I guess, Maverick, too, who eventually she signed on with, uh, but they just completely erased Alanis up until that point. It was like a Brie Larson pop star situation. Exactly. It's also, it's interesting, too, that it's like, 
in reading about the production of this album, it was literally just them. It was these two people, like, hanging out, and, uh, I mean, everything was done in either one or two takes, and so, like, all of Alanis' vocals on that album are either a first or second take, which is beyond insane. Um, and I read in uh, an interview that Ironic was the first song that they recorded together, slash wrote together, and they both kind of had no idea what they were doing, like, there was no genre that they were going for, or anything specific that they were looking to sort of accomplish, they were literally just making art, and doing everything by ear, which sort of became, like, Alanis' identity as a songwriter, um, so the irony that they would end up essentially creating a genre of music that helped define a decade, um, by just kind of, like, jamming out is also really wild yeah and she wrote everything i guess stream of conscious which basically from that point on she continued to always write stream of conscious so these two just sat down together and the music happened or at least so the legend goes uh but you listen to that album and it's such a sound Mm -hmm. it's so specific it's so tight uh and not that the album tracks all sound like each other but they are all within a very particular wheelhouse. Yeah, absolutely. There's like no better way to put it. They live. They sound. They definitely sound like they're from the same family. But yeah, they don't all sound alike. And it's weird because the subject matter is like similar between all the songs, but also some of it is so like. There's songs about the Catholic Church. There's songs about, I mean, like depression. It's just. It's literally is like you said earlier a response to her life up to this point. Like a response to all this, like, shit that's been put on her by all these people and these, like, old men telling her who to be and who not to be and whatever. Um, but yeah, it's also, I feel like, worth mentioning, like you said earlier, that she, you know, was passed by every record label, and then, um, she was signed to Madonna's label, Maverick Records, and, uh, they essentially just gave her free reign to literally do whatever she wanted, a complete new slate, and, um, yeah, it was as if the first the first couple of years of her career literally didn't exist. Which I mean, honestly, as a person who discovered her as a, an American, I had no idea. I was also seven. It's not like I was like looking at her like past, but like I don't think nobody. I don't remember the conversation being about Alanis's pop career for a really long time. No, absolutely not. Uh, and in part, it was because Maverick actually went to MCA Records in Canada and got them to withdraw every single copy of an Alanis record that had been put into a store by that point. They ripped everything from the market, uh, and they marketed her as a new audience, or as a new artist, uh, and it's a totally different audience, right? Uh, the people yeah. who were and the end consumer for the Jagged Little Pill record were just, like, not people who were going to be listening to a Canadian teen pop star, uh, and it really worked. You could never, ever pull off something like this now. Yeah. Uh, there would be just a way back web and a deleted Instagram and a, the internet never forgets mentality about this kind of a rebrand. Uh, but it worked 100%. I think the only place it didn't really work uh, was Canada. Uh, I did read that the Canadian radio programmers uh, refused to program uh, her music when she started to release singles off of Jagged Little Pill because they're like, oh, no, 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 not, not this bitch. Uh, 
But it worked completely in the States. And when she started to get success, Canada basically shut up about it. You also wrote in your notes, too, this really interesting comparison between... Uh, which, like, sent me a whole, a whole mental spiral. Um, but you wrote this comparison between uh, Ray of Light and Alanis, and, like, obviously, like, the inspiration that Madonna had, like, drawn from Alanis, and, like, that blew my mind, because it has to be true. Yeah, so you are a, a fellow Madonna superfan, and Maverick, up until this point, had really been a vanity label for Madonna's projects, groups she thought was interesting, things like that. Uh, and it had made all of its money and all of its success had come out of Madonna's actual projects. Uh, it wasn't until uh, Alanis and Jagged Little Pill that they had anything successful. Uh, and Alanis was this weird thing that was an alternative sound, but like alternative in quotation marks, an alternative in the way that, like, I guess at the time would have been called, like, college radio mm-hmm. is alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she rode that sort of sound and that wave and that attitude that was going on in pop culture at the time and made it just massively successful and hugely mainstream. And it was a very different type of music that Madonna went to a couple years later. But she took those underground beats and worked with producers who were doing electronica and took that electronica sound and made it massively mainstream and it was like the final successful reinvention of madonna god damn it i think you and i are gonna have to at some point just we're gonna have to literally spin a globe and and just stab our finger on it and whatever madonna was doing during the ray of light era which was obviously in the midst of her marriage with guy Ritchie, we just got to talk about that yes absolutely let's like Ray of Light is a whole thing as well. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh. We can't get started on Ray of Light because we, we will enter into hour four of this podcast <laughs> and nobody will be listening. Um, another really interesting thing that I wrote down in my notes that just kind of like stuck out to me when I was reading about the success of this album, um, you know, obviously it went on to, it was like certified 16 times platinum and uh, it held the record for a really long time as a... Uh, I guess not for a really long time, but it held the record for a few years as uh, for the youngest artist to be certified diamond in the U.S. until the release of Baby One More Time. So it was, like, not that long, but, like, I mean, that's a huge feat to not even be, like, an American artist and then you release one album and, you know what I mean? It's a whole thing. Um, But what I found was really interesting was that when they were writing this album and when they released it, like, they just were, like, hoping, basically, that it would be successful enough that she could get, like, a second chance and do another album. So this was actually supposed to be, like, a part one of this greater thing that she wanted to do, and they just wanted people to, like, kind of be like, oh, because she's, maybe she's a little talented. Like, they had no idea that it would even be successful at all, which is pretty crazy. Uh, I think it's pretty miraculous. She started touring the album in clubs, and when she ended the tour supporting the record, she was playing stadiums. Uh, just the swiftest rise. That is insane. Also, by yeah. the way, can you please just read a little bit of the, a little bit of the Dave Coulier section of your notes? Because I, <laughs> I can't do it justice, and I feel like, you know what I mean? Sure, the Dave Coulier of it all. 
so Dave Coulier is in Wendy Williams' voice, like allegedly, like, <laughs> definitely the person you ought to know was written about. Uh, he has flip flopped back and forth over the years over whether he is the person. But at one time, he talked to a Canadian newspaper, uh, the Calgary Herald, and he said, uh, wow, this girl... Oh, when I first heard the song, I said, wow, this girl is angry. And then I said, oh, man, I think it's Alanis. I listened to the song over and over, and I said, I think I have really hurt this person. I mean, like... I, it just, again, it's like... what. I love Jagged Little Pill, but I can't... It's like a worm in my ear knowing that these songs are about Dave Coulier. Like, I, it's like, wow, like, he really got in you that good. Like, he was like, he really rooted himself in your heart. Yeah, for Alanis's part, she has never commented on whether or not it was Dave Coulier, because allegedly she was definitely underage when they were dating. And, like, by the by, the timeline is also the Full House years. Oh, my God. I literally feel faint. Like, I can't. To think that at the beginning of that show, he was dating an underage pop star, Linus Morissette. Yeah. Uh, And how did they meet? It's, like, it's another Drew Barrymore, like, question mark. Uh... (laughs) Very confusing. Like, the best internet theory is that they both had shows on Nickelodeon, so maybe they met at a Nickelodeon event, question mark? <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, honestly, I can't think of any other way. Like, maybe she saw him get slimed and thought, like, yes, a hunk. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, so he has, like, since said... No, that wasn't me, but, like, we heard you the first time, Dave. (laughs) I also want to know, so I already know this about you, but, like, I want to know, what is your, like, personal journey with, like, discovering this album? Because that's, like, I feel like every person around our age has their own version of, like, learning what Jagged Little Pill was. Sure. Uh, I was in the second grade, as were you, Mm -hmm. uh, and my mom bought me the album, uh, which is kind of wild looking back because it's like a very angry album about very adult themes but uh that's how me and my mom were (laughs) and (laughs) and uh yeah i listened to it just like blasting in my little basement bedroom bopping around little like angry seven-year-old uh and i think i was sort of around the age where you start having negative feelings for the first time as a child, uh, having like angsty feelings, having any sort of reaction to the social world. And uh, at that time I listened to that album and it connected and changed me for sure. Uh, and went on to listen to it for like years and years. Uh, it's still one of the like perfect albums to me. I think that there are, are a handful of albums that are just, like, lightning good. Like, The Miseducation of Lauren Hill is one. Yeah. Uh, Where, like, start to finish, it's a perfect album. It's a moment in time. Uh, and Alanis's Jagged Little Pill is definitely one of those records for me. Absolutely. It's, it's one of those albums where you don't, like, you literally look at it as a complete, like, work of art. Like, you look at it as, like, a 
Like, if I'm listening to Jagged Little Pill, it's never to listen to, like, one song. I'm usually starting at the beginning, and then you go all the way to the end, and you get excited in completely different ways for every single song. And that's, like, that's really, you know, that's, like, that's a hard thing to come by. It's honestly an album that totally holds up to. It stands the test of time. It doesn't sound dated. Uh, It doesn't sound, like, interesting only in a nostalgic way. Uh, It's just a really well-produced and well-written album that is very emotional. Yeah. I I remember um, (laughs) another one of my earliest memories with this album. uh, I used to, like, try and sing, like, Alanis. Like, I was, like, one of those annoying kids that would, like, sing around my house all the time. Like, I thought I... I, like, wanted my mom to, like, hear me, so she'd be like, he should be a star. This um, is shocking information, Trey. <laughs> this doesn't track at all. I was obnoxious. Can you believe it? Um, <laughs> and I would, like, the first song, the first Elena song that I ever heard was uh, Hand in My Pocket. And I'll never forget, I was at my grandmother's house with my mom, and I would always go upstairs and, like, watch TV in my grandma's room, because she had like, a big, like tacky, like, like, TV that had, like, a big back to it. It was, like, very chic for the time. And, um, I, like, ran upstairs to, like, watch VH1, and I heard that for the first time, and it was, like, playing on repeat all day, and my mom heard me, like, yodeling upstairs. (laughs) She's like, what are you doing? And I was just, like, taken. I was like, I've taken a lover, and her name is Alanis Morissette. Like, she is a Canadian singer-songwriter. She's angsty and mad. She's fake dreads. I'm literally obsessed. Like, and it was over with. I was, it was, like, every single day listening to Alanis all day and all night. It was, it was, it was a bloodthirst. I know that you have uh, some women in songs, like, journeys as a child and a kid. Did you ever see Alanis on any of those tours? Oh, my God. So... When I went to Lilith Fair, there was a rumor in the 90s that Alanis would be at Lilith Fair because people just assumed she would. And people still think she was there. That's how crazy that, like, people assume that Alanis Morissette was a part of Lilith Fair and she wasn't. She wasn't even, like, ever mentioned in it. But to this day, if you ask people, they'll think that they saw her, which is crazy. Um, It's like the number of people who say that they were at Woodstock. Yeah, exactly. It's like, what? Um, so I went thinking I was going to see her. And I was like, okay, Sarah McLaughlin, like, let's wrap it up. You know what uh, I mean? Like, devastating. I told you that Maya did, like, a tap dance number at the Little Fair. And I was thinking, like, is what's separating me and Alanis Morissette Maya's tap dancing? Because we need to move it the fuck along. Like, somebody grab a cane and tug Maya by her neck off the stage, please. <laughs> And then she never showed up, and I was like, what the fuck? Did Atlantis, like, not come? And then we found out that she was never, like, a part of it. So I thought I was going to see her, but I wasn't. Brutal. Atlantis did really fit, not just into that group. Like, I think she fit into the the Lilith group, uh, no problem. But she also fit sort of into the the garbage thing that was going on at the time, Uh the like the younger crew of female musicians who are making angry music. Uh, yeah, Alanis, like looking back, I watched some of her specials, not a behind the music, but something similar. Uh, and she talked a lot about 
uh, people at the time being receptive to hearing women's stories. Yeah. Uh, so it was definitely like a wave of female and female fronted music that she was a part of, but and she was a huge part of it. Yeah, it felt like she kind of like, I don't know, if it was already sort of like bubbling, not to say that she was like the first artist doing anything like that, but like, it felt like if it was something that was like bubbling beneath the surface, she was the one that really exploded it, you know, and really, I don't know, like for that short period of time in the 90s when like just singer, female singer-songwriters were just like everything, like Fiona and... You know, all of those women, like angsty, angry women. <laughs> like that was my that was my kink as a kid. Like Cheryl Crow and like just all of those those gals. Oh, can we go back? Can we bring that back? I need I need some angry female energy in my life. No, fuck like I, it's like that was like our version of teardrops on a guitar. <laughs> <laughs> um now did you did you listen to Alanis' uh, Did you listen to a supposed former infatuation junkie? At the time, yes. Yeah. Uh, and I think I, I definitely remember the music videos. The music videos were huge up in Canada on Yo Much Music. Uh, like Alanis sitting in the bus with hair covering her tits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, nothing ever touched Jagged Little Pill again. Uh, but that was a good album too, and it had a couple of really strong songs. I loved it. I mean, yeah, definitely no jagged little pill. It was, uh, it was definitely. I really loved it a lot. I used to listen to it a lot, um, and I remember that video for "Thank You" being so controversial, which is so funny. Like, it was literally her sitting down with hair covering her boobs, and people were like, "This is wild." <laughs> <laughs> the most raunchy thing ever and it was like literally her singing about like her her like gratitude and like thankfulness for an india trip i mean like it's like (laughs) the least raunchy thing ever (laughs) people people did really discuss sort of her sensuality uh and yeah it, it was somehow coded as controversial uh but it was definitely like sensuality. It wasn't sexiness, you know? Yeah. It was not like yeah. dirty with three R's. Yes. There was a vulnerability about Alanis's lyrics and the stuff that she would sing about that I think was almost so vulnerable that sometimes it would make you uncomfortable. Certainly. Um But it's worth saying Alanis released her follow up album, Support Supposed Former Infatuation Junkie, on November third of nineteen ninety eight. Um, the lead single, Thank You, was heavily inspired by her trip to uh, India, which became this weird eat, pray, love moment for her, where she was just, like, totally, fully inspired by India. Like, all of her performances and everything, she would open with, like, the most um, Indian-inspired song on the album, which was called Baba, um, about, like, an Indian god. Like, it was just, like, this whole thing. And, um... So like you said, there is, it wasn't as successful as Jagged Little Pill, but it definitely received like really incredible reviews, and it was really a cool. I think I think if that had happened, maybe like now or something. I don't know. I think the transition of her going from this like mean, angry, angsty like singer songwriter to like her Eat Pray Love era is like way more. It's like more cool than I think people gave her credit for. Well, she really jumped 
a good 10 years. Like yeah. she went from college radio to adult contemporary in the three year mark. Oh my God, you're so right. <laughs> well, and like she went from like teen pop to like angsty young adult music in three years too. Uh, like the course of her entire career is basically those nine years. She's continued to make music since, but she did like the full evolution yeah. that like, that took Madonna like 30 years. Alanis did just like a very compact version of it. Uh, and I don't think people were quite ready for her to like burn a candle. No, I don't think so either. And I will say too, and I wrote this down in my notes, Alanis was the first person for me at a young age that taught me what it meant to really sort of like plateau and how dangerous it is to reach the level of fame that she reached like in what felt like a debut album basically it was like her version of like bangers you know what I mean uh like her reintroduction is a completely different li living person um but yeah I mean it felt like when I look back and think of supposed former infatuation junkie, it, to me it feels like this definitive end to her being like at the very tip top forefront of her genre, whatever that was at that time. Like she, that was it. You know what I mean? Beyond that, like she never. Alanis has had so many flop albums. I mean, at this point, she's got like forty albums, and nobody knows the names of any of them except for these two yeah no that was the last time that uh the people were checking for her yeah which is uh you know it's sad but i mean how do you it's like the it's funny that you brought up miseducation of lauren hill, lauren hill earlier because it's like that's one of those plateau albums where it's like you can't what do you do after you release an album like that like what's your next step you know you go away for 30 years and like have a spiritual journey <laughs> yeah you go eat pasta in india <laughs> Um, I guess now we should talk about Ryan. Yeah, uh, so the thing that I really noticed when looking at the chronology of it all is that as Alanis' career was in the downswing, Ryan's was on the upswing. Yeah. Uh, so to take it way back, uh, Ryan Rodney Reynolds, RRR, <laughs> uh, he was born in Vancouver, British Columbia Over on the other side of the country From young Alanis uh, And he started working when he was 13 On this teen soap uh, It was called Hillside in Canada And it was called 15 in the States Do you have any recollection of this? Um, I thought maybe I would And then I went and watched it on YouTube And was literally blown away by the um, Horrendous acting uh, It's it's exactly what you would imagine a show like this to be, like a a a, a pre like a tween drama. Uh, it was, uh, but no, I've never seen this show in my entire life. I'd never heard of it. When I saw clips of it, it brought back no memory. Yeah, it had no cultural impact uh, that I am aware of. Uh, there are these Canadian shows, definitely that have a lasting impact or a part of the cultural memory. Uh, do you know Breaker High? I know of that show, but I've never actually seen it. I think they used to play that on Noggin. That makes sense. Uh, go on a YouTube journey. Uh, check it out. They were uh, on school on a boat, and they traveled around the world. Love and that. it was like 
a lovely campy show uh, featuring, yeah, young Ryan, uh, young Ryan Gosling, who is the preferred Canadian Ryan, Absolutely. in my opinion. <laughs> Absolutely, without any question. Uh, so that's what. Uh, Ryan Rodney was up to as a teenager. Uh, he didn't really pick up any steam in his acting career until he moved to Los Angeles when he was around 18 or 19, something like that. Uh, yeah, uh, Ryan. <laughs> like, I don't even know what to say. I yeah, mean, I'm like that. I'm being really mean. I feel like I'm being really hard on him unnecessarily. Here's the thing. He is... And I will say, you know, I, like, have a lot of animosity towards, like, the Marvel Universe because I just feel like it's just a bunch of fucking rubbish being shoved down our throats and we are, like, just pigs eating up the slop. Like, they're not even good movies, but it doesn't matter, and they have us in their clutches. Um, But I will say, like, out of all of the, uh, like superhero movies that have been coming out in the past like however many years like Deadpool is like an exception I do really enjoy watching it uh it's the only time I think I've ever really in Ryan's entire career like uh appreciated him in any way um and Deadpool is funny and like uh not like I can sit through this it's funny like it actually makes me laugh sometimes to the point where I'm like this is wild that I'm like this is really tickling my funny bone you know what I mean like I'm truly entertained. So, that's a good thing to say or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Brian, until he became a superhero, like, wasn't an actor that anyone was very interested in. Uh, His biggest role to date when he met Alanis was uh, Two Guys, a Girl, in a Pizza Place, which, whatever, uh, it, it ran for four seasons on ABC. I'm sure that, like, 22 million people watched it because that's what people did at the time. Uh, but he really wasn't on the cultural radar at all. Uh, there was a very shady line in a profile uh, that I read. Uh, Unless you have been a devout ABC viewer for the past several years, the name Ryan Reynolds probably doesn't hold much weight in your world. Boo! I mean, but like, where's the lie? Yeah, no lie spotted. Uh, For sure, uh, Van Wilder uh, was a quite successful film. It was Mm -hmm. critically panned like one of Alanis' first albums, but uh, it did pretty well. And uh, that was the first time that he ever was the headliner. Uh, Movie did well, uh, and it was released the same year that he met Alanis. He also had one of those really sort of stereotypical, like, like, when you look back on, like, an actor like this that's had, like, a kind of a long career, you know, like, the first part of his career is a lot of, like, Law & Order SVU, Law & Order so-and-so, The X-Files, uh, Outer Limits, you know, a lot of those, like, just booking gigs, like, playing Teen Skateboarder number four. And, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, supermarket, like, employee number five, like, <laughs> a lot of that stuff. Um, he, he got described a lot fairly or unfairly as a male bimbo uh he was a hot guy for a wb-ish show when they needed a young white man with great abs uh and he performed that as a hot guy with great abs (laughs) was likable 
<laughs> that's the story of Ryan Reynolds. That's the story. If you guys have more, I mean, if you got a more hot scoop, I mean, I, I there, I scoured the internet. I know that you do too. There's just nothing there. No, uh, the uh, a very weird little thing is they he did uh, for one of his movies a movie which was like forgotten immediately. Uh, but during the time that he was dating Alanis, did a little like mini docu series. Basically, did you stumble across this? No. And it has him like at home with Alanis. Oh. Uh, and it's weird. And, like, the sad thing was he went to visit her in the studio. And he's like, she's never in the studio. And I was like, she's never in the studio. This is bad. This is end times. <laughs> oh, my God. How did I miss that? You have to send it to me. I will definitely send it to you. Yeah. Uh, they got together. I will say uh, Ryan Reynolds has, like, interesting taste in women. Uh, yeah, he does. Prior to Alanis, he dated Rachel Lee Cook, uh, which Josie and the Pussycats. I know. And also, by the way, who... Iconic. Write me up. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, literally, I'd love to know who Rachel Lee Cook hasn't dated. And it's shocking that I haven't done an episode on this girl yet, because I swear to God, I have yet to research a male... That does not have Rachel Lee Cook in his fucking dating history. She, and she still somehow, is always linked up with, like, some hot guy. It's crazy. Did you know that she is currently wified up with one of the adult actors from the Vampire Diaries? Really? Yeah, has a baby with him. Does she act? What does she do now? Uh, yeah, she had some sort of a cop slash something show on like a CBS-ish network that did like okay a couple years ago. Uh, but Buddy from Vampire Diaries did the originals uh, as well and like works a ton and I think that she's kind of just like chilling and wifey. Well, that's fun. Yeah, good for Rachel. Yeah, good for her. I love that for her a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he also dated Christian Johnson, which is also very weird. Yeah. Like Ryan Reynolds seemed to have a taste for interesting women mm -hmm. uh, in the late 90s and early aughts. Just, like, imagine Christian Johnson and Ryan Reynolds out on a date. It's wild. It's truly wild. I mean, like, I can't even... My brain won't even allow me to create an image. I can't even create an image. It just blurs. So bizarre. So bizarre. Um, so we mentioned earlier that uh, Ryan and Alanis met at Drew Barrymore's birthday party in 2002 um it was drew's 27th birthday and um at the time which like i don't know why i mean you would think based on how people wrote about them as a couple that she was like this 90 year old like fucking bridge troll or something but she was 28 he was 25 and it was like i mean it literally was people were writing about it as if it was like norman bates and his mom out on a date like like, they were just, she was, like, this weird ogre that he carried around with her. Like. Yeah. Uh, like, this weird ogre who, by the way, just made one of the most successful albums of the decade. Yeah. And he is on Two Guys, A Girl, in a Pizza Place. Like. I know. I know. The patriarchy. Come on, folks. They were, like, I mean, it's a lot of, like, it's a lot of she's so lucky to have him kind of shit. Like, this. For sure. 
The like contemporary example uh, that I think of is Jenny Slate and uh, Chris Number Six. Yes. Uh, who like Chris Number Six seems great, but Jenny Slate is like a queen, a treasure of comedy. Yeah, like and like also like not an ugly lady. Like how dare you, folks? Uh, and like listen, Alanis like is not Cindy Crawford, but like we're not talking about people who should be hidden from society because of their looks. It's just. Uh, <laughs> I would like each of these men to write an essay for me and hand it into class like I am their professor of relationships to prove why are they worthy to be with, like, a brilliant woman. You also wrote in your notes, too, which I wrote, and I, I've never... I haven't been able to shake it in three days, um, that they sort of dated via email for a while. This, these details about their relationship that are just, like, in every single story that you read they met at drew barrymore's birthday party they started dating via email and then like no one had a follow-up question i know we're just gonna have no more information uh did they start dating via email before drew barrymore's really or before her birthday party like dating via email what does it mean i just love that celebrity that that can be a way that celebrities date like and, then, and nobody questions it or thinks it's weird. Like someone, they started dating via email. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Who dates via email? What are you saying? Like that is an immediate. What are you saying? Wild. It's a wild. Also, by the way, email in like two thousand and two. What are they? They're like dating via Ask Jeeves. Like what are you talking? What are you saying right now? I don't understand. I don't. <laughs> I need it to make sense. Um, and they, they made their first public appearance together at the 2003 MTV Movie Awards, and then they became this sort of, like, red carpet couple. Like, they used to like to go out and get dressed up and be photographed together, which I'm sure there were conversations had, like, in the bathroom in the middle of the night, like, of him asking her to go out with him. You know what I mean? Like... Correct. <laughs> come on, like... Alanis has never been, like, a red carpet darling, and then all of a sudden... They hit up everything. Oh, it was wild. They hit up so many events that they had no business being at. Like, they were, like, Tinsley Mortimer 2006 territory. Yes. Yes. It made no sense. And there wasn't a whole lot of press about them because Alanis was, like, on the decline and no one knew who Ryan Reynolds was. Uh, But they put themselves out there via the photograph. Uh, They were at everything. And, like, that's the part of it that makes me suspicious of Ryan Reynolds. Uh, He just seemed to date more and more famous women Mm -hmm. as he climbed his way, like, out of ABC sitcom into the Marvel Universe. Mm -hmm. So, I don't know. I'm going to side-eye him about that, but (laughs) I have no proof. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they also... um... They got engaged, as we said earlier, you know, Brian is a serial engagementer. Um, so People Magazine announced their engagement in June of 2004. And uh, I, sometimes I, I, I just literally write down quotes from publicists because I love the job of a publicist. That, like, this Atlantis publicist gave a statement to People Magazine that said, yes, they're engaged. Like, I love that that was her day. 
You know what I mean? <laughs> she was hounded by all these media outlets, and she wrote back, yes, comma, they're engaged, period, said. <laughs> Enough. <laughs> they, they did, however, go on to say some, like, very, very sappy things about each other. Oh, my God. Which one do you want to start with? I mean, honestly... <laughs> There's like, uh, they're great. I, I would like to start with the fact that she thinks she manifested him. <laughs> That's a good place to start. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> uh, she had said that he was sort of her fantasy guy. She met him and she was monogamous minded with an ex boyfriend. Uh, but then she met Ryan and sort of like put him on her back burner thought of him again uh but alanis said we might have known each other in a past life but just to get really practical our actual upbringings were so similar he and i both worked at the same tv station years apart it was uncanny so uh yeah she thinks she manifested a dorky canadian like hottie and i don't know <laughs> power to you like put it on your board <laughs> It's like you, it's, so it's 2002, so it's you and every, like, manager of an Abercrombie manifested this man, like, <laughs> to, like, literally work the door. You know what I mean? Like, are you kidding? I also, I wrote down one that I really appreciated because it felt like a little bit of a view into Atlantis's soul. She said, he's clearly the most courageous person on the planet because he's so supportive <laughs> of my expression remaining intact that he says, hey, if it's your truth, go for it. But my level of consideration has gone up a little bit. Not entirely, but a little bit. Can we talk for a second? So, what we gather is that Atlantis unapologetically will write songs for about her boyfriend while she's with them. And they may tell her not to. And she says she will anyway. So her, her level of consideration has gone up a little. Not entirely, but a little. But and, and like I'm sorry, ma'am, but your expression, like I have seen you on film with your fiance saying she's never in the studio. <laughs> <laughs> this is such a rare occurrence. <gasps> yeah. I I feel like they just like got drunk together one night early on in their relationship and he said some things about Jagged Little Pill and she felt very seen. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. He, like, looked up a couple words in the, the, the thesaurus that Atlantis would appreciate, and, yeah, that was it. Like, <laughs> And the poor thing was just like, you seem so much nicer than Dave Coulier. Exactly. Another really weird thing that I wrote down that made me feel like I had entered a Twilight Zone, or, like, the Bermuda Triangle, was that, so, at the time of their engagement, um... Atlantis, sorry, my autocorrect changed Atlantis to Atlantis every single time. So it's like, <laughs> you know. Um, but she was about to start touring the, for the 10 year anniversary of Jagged Little Pill. 2005, I guess, yeah. How insane is that? Okay. <laughs> the album was out for a decade when she met him, which is like. So that means that she's had, at that point, what, 40 albums that were all flops? I mean, like... Oh, she was on to... It was her second album that she put out just sort of a year or so into the relationship, because they met in 2002, started yeah. dating in 2003. So, yeah, she had put out 
two post-Jagged Little Pill albums. Okay. And then didn't put out another one until they were finished with their relationship. And I feel like that third one, even though I could never tell you the name of it, it got, like, a tiny bit of traction, right? I feel like people were still a little into Atlantis, right? Yes. Uh, So-called Chaos? Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. That was the only uh, album that she released during their relationship, 2004. Uh couple of years into their relationship or one year i guess uh it was the first to fail to produce a hit single oh. so and so it is yeah that's <laughs> curtains curtains <laughs> um i also read uh and i know you wrote this down too which i actually thought this was really sweet but that ryan like without telling alanis he flew to ottawa to talk to her parents in person about like marrying her and got their permission and, like, never even told her that he was doing that. Like, that's pretty cute. Yeah, I think Ryan Reynolds, like, as much as I'm kind of taking a crap on him, is a real sweet guy. He seems to treat women very well. Uh, I like his little routine saying, you know, like, I love being Mr. Lively. Like, it's not for me, but I'm not going to crap on, like, a man supporting the women in his life. I totally agree. He seems like he'd be just like a good boyfriend like he would just be attentive and you know he's funny enough like he's funny enough that he'd make me laugh on the couch while we're like in wearing dirty sweatpants and like watching tv he'd make me laugh like you know what i mean like no he's a dorky kind of boyfriend who like is annoying and pulls pranks on you and is like a light-hearted addition to your life (laughs) yeah exactly my favorite thing about what's happening is that is it's like as if i wouldn't literally like roll through grass like glass to, like, <laughs> to kiss like the soles of his feet like literally I'm talking about him as if like I have any room to like judge like really <laughs> like on a drunken night I wouldn't literally give up my like credit score for him um he also designed a 2.5 carat emerald cut platinum ring for her I don't know what any of that means but I mean sounds good and uh um also from this message board that Russ linked me to in his email that made me feel very at home. I'm not gonna lie. I found a, a lot of broken links and a lot of Jim and, Jim and Pam memes. Um yep. I was like, that this feels like home. Uh <laughs> there was a uh an interview from two thousand and four about Ryan uh, or no, there was a comment about Ryan being hot. Or no, there was a lot of comments on the thing about Ryan being, like, this hot guy. Like, because that was, like, the beginning of his career. Like, that's the only thing that people really, like, talked about was, like, how hot he was. Um, but in that message board, I read a thing where he had said, like, that they didn't have a date for their wedding yet, that they just enjoyed being engaged. And, like, I think that some people get addicted to... Engage, like the feeling of being engaged because it's not the full commitment but it's also a little bit more of a commitment it's like this like in between where you don't like really have to you know it's like it means something but it doesn't mean the whole thing and it's like not scary yeah and they lived in that space for what another two years yeah they were engaged basically their whole relationship uh, and they never so much as uttered a wedding detail there was no talk of address there was no date there was no save the date uh they were just happily engaged until they were not 
I also read on that message board too that he was asked about children with her, and he said, "Oh yeah, for sure, I'd love to have a family, but it's more about when she's ready, since I'm not the one who carries it. Right now, we're just enjoying being with each other, and when and when we can, we trade off. She'll come to a location with me, and then I'll go on the road with her." As long as you keep each other as a priority, it seems like everything else seems to fall into place. Um, so yeah, I mean, he just you know he seems like a sweet, nice guy. I could totally I could totally see myself writing an entire album inspired by our breakup for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, will you read? Because I didn't write it down, and I don't have my second notes pulled up. Will you read that quote that you wrote down from the Guardian? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so ev- I found it like very interesting how she talked to Us Weekly and then how a few months later she talked to The Guardian. Uh, because when she's talking to Us Weekly, she's talking about their journey and evolving. And uh, I think it's about stretching each other uh, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then she talks to The Guardian, which is like a real-ass newspaper who cares about her career. Uh, And the writer was asking her about this idea of being torture-free after making all of this angsty music. Uh, And they had said, uh, so now you're stabled and fiancéed. And she said, (laughs) literal, (laughs) in quotations. (laughs) P-H-H-H-H. And Alana says, apparently... Fiance, yes. Stable, no. Anyone who is in a committed relationship will attest to the fact it's not the easiest path to choose. It's not made me calm. I find it exhilarating, challenging, healing, and horrifying all at once. A fair nuanced thing to say, but as a fully famous person, to go to a journalist and call your engaged relationship horrifying as a descriptor is an uncommon thing to do. I gotta be honest with you. A lot of this research makes me realize that we think we have this image of who Alanis Morissette is in our minds. And it's like, with everything I read from her, it twists and turns and and shifts what I think Alanis is like, just, like, as a person in life. And I feel like none of us, like, know her, really. For sure. I think also, uh, being of the age that we are, we are married to a version of a person from a long time ago. I find the same thing, sort of, like, with Gwen Stefani as an example. Mm -hmm. Uh, Gwen Stefani, late 90s, no doubt, is someone that I have just strong feelings about Mm -hmm. and I think like a lot of women do as well just a girl and she was a feminist icon and now to see her like peddling her love angel music baby clothing line and dating Blake goddamn Shelton and like taking pictures with Paul Ryan at places that sell chicken wings breaks my damn heart but it is totally unfair to want to put a glass jar over these people and have them be the like cool adult version of the person that they were in 1996. Uh, so, you know, we, yeah. w- I, there's somebody who I want Alanis to be, and then there's like an actual human being. And I suppose now in 2018, I can let Alanis be an actual human being, but yeah. it hurts, Troy. It hurts. We'll give it to her. You know, she's worked hard. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so we mentioned earlier that they had a couple splits before they fully broke up. Um, they it was reported in June of 2006 that they had officially called it quits. Um, they had this like short reconciliation in July where they were photographed holding hands um, after dinner, sort of acting as if like nothing happened. And when they were interviewed about it, it was like just water off a duck's back. It didn't happen. Let's move on. It was as if they had never broken up. The TV guide asked her about it, and it was wild. Uh, they said, I've read that your relationship is on again, off again. And she responded with, I have been with Ryan for four years. I feel yeah. like we're married already. Like, it was like what Katie Holmes was saying in your last episode. I know. Like- <laughs> That's what it made me think of. I was like, I immediately, I could hear in my mind, I love Tom. You know, what's Tom? <laughs> just, just, we have been together for four years. <laughs> like, that's not true, Alanis. Like, nudge, nudge. <laughs> He's my man. He's my man. <laughs> so they officially broke up in February of 2007. Um, Alanis and Ryan officially called it quits for good, and their reps released a joint statement saying, which I, again, I love that these two reps got together and they're like, all right, what the fuck do we say? And they came up with, and I always love how just cliche and cold they are. Um, they said, Ryan Reynolds and Alanis Morissette have mutually decided to end their engagement. They remain close friends and continue to have the utmost love and admiration for each other. They ask that their privacy be respected surrounding this personal matter. It's like, I think they seriously just have like a template all of them, and then they switch words around and add different names um, to we've mutually decided to end our engagement. They'll change, like, the word engagement or marriage or whatever. Like, I love it. I want to... This is why I feel like I need to be a a publicist. I could write a joint statement like that in one minute. You've got got a thesaurus. (laughs) Exactly! I know four words! (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the statement means nothing, but holler, holler back, they're done. They're done. And uh, Alanis used the breakup as the inspiration for her follow-up album, Flavors of Entanglement. Um, she'd said in interviews that she, like, hadn't been writing music, which, like, again, this is, like, such, apparently such an Alanis thing to say. Um, I'm finding out that Alanis is uh, very cold, which I, I, I appreciate even more. Um, but she said that she... She wasn't writing music because she wasn't feeling inspired while she was, like, in her relationship. Like, she was just happy. Oh, excuse me. Happy. And uh, she wasn't feeling the need to write. And then she broke up with him and felt, like, this whole flush of inspiration. So she fled to London and wrote 12 songs about Ryan immediately. And uh, I read on this website, the the Orange County Registry... That's an AP story. Okay. <laughs> I was so I was so curious when I landed on that link. I'm like, why is she talking to Orange County? Uh, <laughs> I, I found the same text of it on a message board. It's not from the... Don't worry. Our girl did not call up the Orange County Register. She called up the Associated Press, and they just did not put that in the byline. I was like, what the fuck was she, like, in the OC, like, selling cuffs or something? Like, what was she doing... <laughs> Why? Um, Yeah, Yeah, I had to flag that. I I had the same reaction, yeah. The interviewer said, it seems like half the album is looking back at your relationship with Ryan and half of these moving forward songs. Was that intentional? 
And she said one of the main themes of this record is this recovery rising up from the ashes, so to speak. So it's sort of unraveling of my personal life, hitting my own rock bottom and rising up. I didn't even realize it was realize it while I was writing the record, but it definitely goes through all the stages of grief. And then the lady said, Ryan has now moved on. Is that difficult for you? What's your message to him? And she said, I have enough distance, so to be perfectly honest, I'm not really that focused on it. I wish anyone whom I love, whether I hang out with them or not, great success and love, blah, 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 Godspeed, et cetera, et cetera, blah, blah. Um, But yeah, so she, like, I mean, she literally... What I love is that she went on a press tour for this album and was very open and honest about the fact that every single song was about, you guessed it, Ryan Reynolds. If in case anybody was wondering, she's giving first and last name. She's giving all the tea. Like, she's bitter and pretending not to be, and that's my brand. Yeah, no, she's Justin Timberlake-ing him. <laughs> she is. <laughs> she had, like, a, a lookalike with spiky, like, highlighted hair in the video. <laughs> Honestly, I wish she was still on this. I wish that she was Justin Timberlake-ing now, like, bringing up Britney Spears 14 years later. Be like, <laughs> like, she needs to put out an album now and be like, Ryan Reynolds? This is also about him. I, yeah. I've been thinking. She needs to go full Taylor Swift and put little codes, little code messages in her albums, like RR and like all. <laughs> um, and I, so I, uh, I, I didn't know the song Torch. I'd never heard it. Um, I'm not going to lie. I don't think that I've heard anything on this album. I didn't either. Like, I'm sorry. I know, Alanis, you're listening, obviously. We're sorry. We're sorry, but, like, the, oh, no, they didn't comment her who said, like, flop of entanglement. Oh. It was, it was Troy. (laughs) 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 Look, I had to listen to it for the first time. Gorgeous song. um, Very beautiful. But I wrote down some of the lyrics because they are... Just in that very specific Alanis Morissette way, again, where it's almost so vulnerable that it's a little uncomfortable, but, like, relatable. So the first part of the song is, I miss your smell and your style and your pure abiding way. I miss your approach to life and your body in my bed. I miss your take on every on anything and the music you would play. I miss cracking up, wrestling, and our debriefs at the end of the day. I miss your neck and your gait and your sh- sharing what you write with me. I miss you walking through the front door, documentaries in your head. Like, it's very specific. I miss you traveling. I miss our traveling and our our fun and charming friends. I miss our Big Sur getaways. It's like she's literally like, <laughs> reading their text messages. And she said, I, like, I miss watching you play with my dogs. It's a bummer. Those bummer. lyrics are a bummer. It sounds like art therapy, like... Divorce, yeah, couples counseling nonsense. It does. It's like a haiku. <laughs> no, like she's just like an OC register step away from talking about her love tank. <laughs> I, I can't deal. Oh my god, that's gotta be the the name of her next album is Love Tank, and the whole thing is about how it's not filled, and then at the end it slowly gets filled. Hopefully, <sighs> um. And you wrote some really good notes about Ryan moving on after. I mean, he literally, it was like a day later, he was like engaged, like... Bam. Yeah. He was 
So their split was announced February 7th, and it wasn't even one of those situations where they'd been split for a while. Like, they'd been spotted together, like, buying cupcakes in Vancouver over Christmas. Uh, So they had very recently been together, and then all of a sudden he was being romantically linked to Scarlett Johansson and uh, one of my personal least favorite celebrities, Jessica Biel. Jessica Biel is one of your least favorite celebrities? Yeah. Me really? Yeah, okay. Why do you want to say that? I don't like her face. I don't like Mary Camden. I don't think that she has done anything notable in her career, and I can't stand the man that she's chosen to live with. God damn it. Get out of my brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, holy shit. She is like, when I tell people that I can't say Jessica Biel, I feel like she's so irrelevant that it shocks people. And they're like, wait, what? We don't like, I'm like, Jessica Biel, you heard me. Not a game. I I always say every single year, and I truly wonder, and it's not just a joke, it's not just a bit, if Jessica Biel is allowed to show up to the Oscars, why can't I? Why can't you? What is she doing there? No, like, do you think that, like, Beverly Mitchell has, like, a voodoo doll of Jessica Biel? <laughs> Seriously, like, if she does, I would use its little body to step away from the red carpet every time she yeah, no, like, somewhere. Well, like, Mary Camden is at the Oscars. Like, poor Beverly Mitchell has to hang out with goddamn Jody Sweeten. <laughs> <laughs> like, on the, the Wii Network or something. Like, jeez. Yeah, anyways, this is a long aside, but I'm glad you also share my distaste for one Jessica Biel. Yes, absolutely. They were very briefly romantically linked, and then it was all Scarlett. Uh, And things happened fast and furious with Scarlett and Ryan. Uh, They were officially dating by that spring. I think it was like April or May. Uh, And she got him a gold-dipped wisdom tooth for his birthday (laughs) the next fall. <laughs> oh god damn it I don't even want to know the context I don't even want to know give me a vial of blood or give me nothing exactly seriously <laughs> that's real love uh, so yeah that was very weird uh, they okay so they went public in May and the next May they announced their engagement uh, and uh they did not stay engaged forever. They got married uh, the following September in uh, Vancouver, uh, on Vancouver Island. Uh, I wrote down the most bizarre quote I thought. So she's either like nuts or brain dead or both. Uh, Scarlett Johansson's comment on the marriage was, I never really thought about getting married. It just kind of happened. <laughs> That's a very ScarJo response to the, like, being asked about the love of your life. <laughs> it just sort of happened. It just happened. Like, kind of cold, <laughs> aloof. You know? <laughs> yeah. Um, we have also just really quickly, before we sign off, have to talk about the non-Christian shit that you exposed me to, which is Atlantis' current relationship. <sighs> Russ, what have you done? I'm very sorry, but if you, if I can't unsee it, neither can you. Oh uh, my god, you guys. You have to watch this fucking music video. I'll post it in the Facebook group. 
No one should watch this music video. I disagree. Everyone stay far away and leave your lovely memories intact. It's literally the ring. Like, your life... There's before this video, there's your life after. It is... She's, like, dating this rapper who looks like Riff Raff. Uh, he's cleaner than that. He's, you know, like... I'll give you that, because I've only seen him in his, like, garb in that video. I don't... No, like, he's, like, a fifth-rate Macklemore. Okay, all right, that makes more sense. Yeah, uh, he's put out a, a bunch of albums. He had like nine or something independent albums. Uh, I've never heard of them. I didn't know that Alana. I knew Alanis had had a baby and been married, but there was always like a cardboard cutout with a question mark on it beside it, and I, yeah. I never checked it out. And to my utter shock and dismay, it is a, a white rapper, which she has a music video with uh it's like in the cold of winter and she's in like full frozen drag and it's just it's a nightmare it's really bad like there's this skit on snl where uh they are like these teenagers putting on like a stage production that's really bad that has like a message that's never clear it doesn't make any sense and like that's what it reminds me of like it's just it was the weirdest tackiest cheesiest like I can't believe Alanis Morissette allowed that into her life thing I've ever seen. Ever. Did you watch her Super Soul Sunday? No, I didn't. Oh, I don't know if it was Super Soul Sunday. It was something Oprah. Uh, Alanis did a sit-down since she has been in this relationship and talked about her relationship with this man. Like, it was transcendent. And so great. Like, live your life. Uh, enjoy enjoy what this man brings into your world, uh, but it's not it's not the ending to the story that I would have written. <laughs> you know, honestly, given what we've known about her since 1995, actually since 1988, uh, who is to say what that story would have really looked like? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, laugh. I'm I'm running out of words, Troy. <laughs> we, we've got to the, like the uncomfortable and sad 2018 of it, but that's probably way harsh. Like Alanis has a truck full of money, a man who loves her, a nice little kid with a weird name. Uh, she's probably golden. Oh hell yeah! And she'll always be known as someone who like literally released one of the greatest al- she's she under her belt has one of the greatest albums in the history of music and everybody knows that and whether her other albums sell pennies or pebbles or whatever she still is the woman who wrote jagged little pill and helped create an entire like identity for a decade you know what i mean so you're right she's doing great she's got a great past she's, she's got she, satchel's she she had a real decent sort of, like, career as, like, a mid-tier actor in yeah. the 2000s, too. You know, she had, like, a great arc on Weeds. Uh, she was with a dogma she was in. She played a lesbian on Sex in the City. Uh, so, you know, I think, for like, for a while, her cultural cachet was just like, we'll have Alana swing by and do this. Uh, you know, she did some other some other cool things uh, as well. So, well, credit, credit, credit due. Call Alanis, tell her to twist up those dreads and uh, have her come on set and kiss Sarah Jessica Parker. It'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> um, Russ, do you have any, any other tidbits or morsels that you want to add about Alanis Morissette that you missed? 
Oof. This is a dark place to end, Troy. Right? Uh, oh, yeah, they've they've got two kids, Ever and Onyx. Uh, Alanis seems to be happy. We don't ever not end dark, though, do we? I mean, like, no, that's yeah. yeah. I mean, like uh, our episodes typically end in some sort of weird. I mean, every episode that you and I have ever done together, besides like Tinsley. Is yeah, like this long, sprawling, dramatic uh, love affair. So this was actually probably the lightest. Yeah, correct. Uh, and Tinsley ended with like a pre-Ronnie campaign for everyone to love her. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? Out of out of all of the Celine ended all right. Yeah. Uh, Celine's doing well. Uh, funnily enough, like hanging with Deadpool. I mean, like, can we talk? Also, by the way, um, our, can, I mean, it, it's a whole, it probably would be a whole another episode, but, like, the Shania of it all? Oh, oh, the postmortem. Troy, we're going to the darkest, darkest places of the darkest, darkest timeline. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah. Shania, close your Canadian mouth. Stop speaking, hon. You, you know? And, like, how dare you the week you were on RuPaul's Drag Race? Oh, my God. Like, could it have been a worse, a worse time? Oh, my God. And the Drag Race, she was just so vacant. It was petrifying. There was no one home. I know. I know. It made me really sad. Obviously, I immediately thought of you. I was like, this is literally, (laughs) my heart has turned into, like, a black, like, piece of coal like it's nothing <laughs> all your faves are dead thanks for tuning into this mushroom <laughs> <laughs> russ i love you your family it's a lot of garden you truly are family here um tell people where they can find you on the interwebs uh, i am on twitter at restless i am on instagram at restless list follow my chihuahua life of odie <laughs> <laughs> I follow your chihuahua. I need to do that, like, as soon as possible. Hit it up on Tuesdays We Twin. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Oh, my God. That's very true. Russ, Russ's twin photos with his dog are, like, it's, like, coffee table book worthy. Truly, it's pretty amazing. I lost my damn mind. So. <laughs> yeah. well, uh, Troy, thank you so much for having me on. Congratulations on your 50th episode. I cannot wait to see uh, the direction that you take this podcast in. I'm very excited for you. And once again, folks, go on back to that iTunes page, click subscribe, leave a review. Russ, thank you so much. I love you. <laughs> Fantastic. Thanks, Troy. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to this mushroom, an emotionally broken psycho's Patreon exclusive. Please make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. It really helps your boy. Also, make sure to head over to Patreon.com/EBPsychos for more information on this show and other Patreon exclusive content. You can follow me on Twitter at Troy McEady. That's T R O Y M C E A D Y. You can also follow this podcast at EBP underscore Smushroom. Thank you to executive producer Molly McAleer and coordinating producer Nicole Matthew. 